You are listening to the Embassy Church Podcast, and here is today's message. Amen. Father, we thank you this morning for your presence. I thank you, Lord, that it's all about you. It's all about you. And, and, I, and, and Father, this is, I have really nothing to say other than what you have given me to say. So, Father, I pray that, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would be able to do what you want to do this morning. Lord, and that at the end of this morning, you will have accomplished what you've set up to do. And so I thank you for, so much, Lord, for that. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Uh, I want to talk about today about something that God keeps talking to me about because I keep falling into it, um, and that's performance. I want to talk about performance. Um, performance isn't always a bad thing, but when performance when performance you're using performance to validate yourself. When you use performance, when I say performance, I mean it's what you do. Works. Basically, the Bible calls it works. Miriam Webster says performance is the execution of an action, something that is accomplished. That's what I'm talking about. And it's not what you've accomplished that is bad, it's why we work to accomplish things, it's why we do it that it can be bad. It can be good. So I want to talk about that a bit today. Performance is good when it's done for the proper reasons. In James chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, so you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Now, someone may argue, some people have faith, other people have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? And I will show you my faith by my good deeds. The book of James talks about works. The book of James talks about works so much that Martin Luther wanted it thrown out of the Bible. <laughs> because Martin Luther had a revelation of faith. And then here's this book called James talking about works. Works are good. We need to do them. Um, when God calls us to do something, it involves works. It always does. If it doesn't involve works, we stay at home and do absolutely zero. And that's never what God wants us to do. So I'm not here to say that works are bad. Works are actually, we need to do them. They need to be done. But lots of times we're drawn into performance when we attempt to live out our faith without leaning on the grace of God. So... Take the Ten Commandments, for instance. You look at those Ten Commandments, and it says, you shall, you shall not murder. Okay, I can keep from killing people. That's not too hard. I can do that. But then Jesus comes along and says, no, 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 it's way more than that. It is not being angry at people. It is not calling your brother a fool. It is not. It goes way further than just not doing something. It's not wanting it either. And so, Jesus is trying to show us that we are supposed to do, but we're not supposed to do without the grace of God. And I know that's kind of a mystical, ooey thing that's out there, so um, hopefully I can explain it a little bit. The grace of God 
it's his willingness to use his power on your behalf. We are all saved through the grace of God because God was willing to send Jesus to die so his, the blood of Jesus can cover our sins so we can be part of what God is doing. So when we live out our lives to the best of our ability, the way we feel God wants us to live them out, we have to do it with the grace of God. So we, we have to do it by lean, leaning on Him. So we don't just, because if we don't, everything turns into rules, right? So if, if we don't have the grace of God with us, then we're doing something and it's going to turn into a rule and a regulation. And that has happened to pretty much every denomination that has ever been around. You know, they, they create a bunch of rules, and, and we need rules too, but rules can't be more important than people. And then when it gets to that point, and Jesus talked to the Pharisees, and, and he told the Pharisees that your rules are way too important. Man was made for the Sabbath, not the other way around. Performance is wrong when it's done to gain acceptance from God, or anybody for that matter. So when we, when we were doing some works, we're doing things, and we're doing them to make God happy, to be accepted by God, then we, our, our motives are completely all messed up. Because there's nothing we can possibly do to be accepted by God. We are accepted by grace because He loves us. That's the only thing. It's the only thing. So we, we really have to ask ourselves, why are we doing what we do? Performance can become your identity if it's allowed to. And I'm talking about me because I've been there and I have done that. Um, about four or five years ago now, God started taking me through a process of changing my identity. And I did not know it when God started it, but my identity was in playing the guitar and my identity was in doing works, acts of service at the church. When I moved here in 1990, God told me to do whatever Glenn asked me to do. That was what I was coming here for. I wasn't coming here for any other reason other than to just help Glenn with the church, to get, find a job so that there isn't a burden of that on him and just to do whatever Glenn asked me to do. And somewhere between then and a few years ago, it became who I was. It became my identity. My calling turned into my identity, which is not supposed to happen. God is supposed to be our, our identity. So God started stripping me down, and he told me what he was doing when he started. He said to me, he said, the best way to rebuild a classic car is to strip it to the frame, sandblast it, and then put it back together with new parts. And he said, that's what I'm doing to you. And so he did. He stripped me right down to nothing. At one point, I remember thinking, I don't know who I am anymore. You know, God took away the guitar. He didn't take, well, he asked me to step down from the team, right? So I, I stepped down from the team because he wanted to deal with that. And, um, so I did. And little did I know what was, what was coming. Um, 
God delivered me. Self-pity, rejection, abandonment, fear, and shame. And all of those were very strong inside of me. And I was absolutely horrified when God showed them to me. I didn't think I had been saved for 40 years. And this is all still inside of me. And I just went, ah. I was, I was horrified. And I'll, I'll, I just want to talk about the rejection for a bit. And some of you have heard this story. But I think I felt that God wanted me to tell it again. So um, I had a meeting with Megan. And she said to me that I operate out of a pretty heavy rejection. And that was the first time I'd ever heard that. Not that I ever heard rejection, but that I had it. I didn't know. And then God opened my eyes, and I saw it everywhere in my life. So um, then she prayed. She spoke one day on rejection, shortly after that. And she said that God had given her a word, and she wrote it down word for word and read it. And the word was, there's somebody here who has had rejection since the day they were born because they were born the wrong sex. And God immediately reminded me that my mom told people all the time that she really wanted a girl, but got me instead. She told Marge that when we got engaged. Um, and so I had rejection my whole life, right from the very beginning. And so the next, next week after that, she talked about the fire of God. And, 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 and she preached upon the fire of God, and then she wanted to pray for everybody who wanted the fire of God. And she had the, the praise and worship team came up. So I went up, I was playing. And she prayed for everybody one by one. And I really wanted to be prayed for. And so when it was all over and I put the guitar away, I, I went to ask Megan if she would pray for me. And she was talking to somebody else. And, oh, I bet you she talked to him for 25 minutes. <laughs> and, I, and at one point I said, well, I'm just gonna go home. You know, it's, it's just taking too long. And Marge says, no, if you want her to pray for you, you should stay here. And so I waited another 10 minutes or so. And I went, no, this is, it's just, no. And my daughter, Sarah, was here. And she said, no, if you want it. <laughs> and if you didn't recognize that that was rejection, because I was saying that guy needs her way more than I do. He needs your prayers way more than I do. And I'm just, it's just, he's more important than I am. So I was just going to leave her to him. So then he finally left. And she came and Megan prayed for me. She put her hand on my chest. And she prayed for the fire of God. And nothing happened. And I thought, I waited half an hour for nothing? Oh, well, it's only half an hour. That's sweet. <laughs> you know? But the next week, the next week was when she preached on rejection. And um, I had determined in my heart that I am not going up after the service is done to play because I want her to pray for me and I want to be in the line when she prays for me. Um, and so I stayed sitting and she said, I'm not going to call you up today. No. <laughs> so then I came up and I started playing with the rest of the band. And as she prayed, it started to hurt right where she had placed her hand on my chest the week before. And it got worse, and it got worse, and it got worse. And at first I thought it was just a disappointment that she didn't have a prayer line. But by the time I had, by the time she had finished, 
it hurt so bad that I just put the guitar in the stand and I ran to the bathroom and just isolated myself where nobody could find me. Because I went to the green room where it was just one, <laughs> one person in there. And I sat there and it hurt so bad in my chest. And then, and I was so disappointed because I thought I had missed it and that I would just be stuck with this rejection for the rest of my life. Isn't it funny how your brain goes sideways sometimes? Like that would ever happen, you know, like God would ever say no. But that's, you know, what I'm thinking. And then God showed me a vision of a planter's wart with a big root on it. And I suddenly realized what was happening. God was just doing heart surgery. He was cutting out the rejection. And I started to hyperventilate in the bathroom. I was there for 20 minutes, probably at least, if not more. And I started to hyperventilate, and I realized that God was doing open-heart surgery on me in the bathroom. And, um, and I started to hyperventilate, and I did that until 8 o'clock that evening. It was before I started breathing normally again. And the next day I woke up, and this is the point I want to make. Is God said to me, now you need to learn to live without it. He said, now you need to learn to live without rejection. And I did not know how to do that because I had had it my whole life. I used it quite, you know, because um, I also had a fear of abandonment, right? And I'd use rejection to kind of push the fear of abandonment away, saying that I just wasn't worthy, you know? And um, I always thought that Jesus... And I actually, I thought this, believe it or not. I thought that Jesus um, died for the world because the Bible says he died for the whole world. But in my mind, I thought that he died for certain people. There's Moses and there's Elijah and there's Billy Graham and those people he died for. And it was like an auction sale where he had to take the whole box of garbage to get the three things he wanted. And I was part of the garbage. And I did believe that. But that... That's what rejection does. But you need to, we need, I needed to learn to live without it. So what I needed to do was change the way I was thinking. So rejection, because I'm used to thinking that way, those are the thoughts that are going to automatically come up again. And I need to learn to fight them. So I had been saved for 40 years at this point. I've been through Bible school. I knew the Bible pretty well but I had no idea what to do here, none whatsoever. And, and so when God said, I need to learn to live without it, he's basically saying, I need to change the way I think. I need to change the way I think. And it is the same with performance. We need to change the way we think. So a good way to tell whether there's a performance attitude that is a little bit off the mark is that if you do something and nobody notices and nobody cares what you did and you feel really bad about that, then you've probably got a performance mentality because then you did that thing to get noticed as opposed to doing that thing because God said. And so if you've ever been there and if you've ever felt that way, it, it's a pretty good bet there's a performance issue and it's not I mean it is really really big 
but it's easy to fix. You just change the way you think. You still keep doing the same things you're doing, but when you do them, you change the reason why you're doing them. I don't know how many times I was playing on the praise and worship team, and God said to me, who are you playing for? And I go, oh, right, okay, I'm going to play for God. I'm not playing for people, I'm playing for God. Oh, I bet you he said that to me 35 times. What I didn't realize was that God is trying to say your identity is wrong and it needs to be changed. But I had no idea that's what he meant when he said that. And it took me a very, very long time, you know, for God to show, show that to me. So what it comes down to is if, if we do something and we're at peace with it, even though nobody knows that we did it and there's perfect peace, you're good. If you do something and nobody knows you did it and you're upset because nobody thanked you for doing it, you've, we've got performance and we need to renew our minds. So we have to live by faith. And we have to trust God's mercy and we have to trust in God's grace. Because we're not working to get God's approval. God already, we already have God's approval. There's nothing we can do to get it. And grace is not forced. Grace is not forced. God will not force it on you. Um, Satan will take anything he's got and he will try to force it on you. He tried to force rejection back into my life a lot. He tried to force abandonment back into my life. Fear, shame, it was all there. Matthew 11, 28 to 30, in the voice, it says, put my yoke upon your shoulders. It might appear heavy at first, but it's perfectly fitted to your curves. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart. And when you are yoked to me, your weary souls will find rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I love the way the message says it. It says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace and I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. If we feel that what God has called us to do is heavy and hard, then our motives are wrong. Because the Bible clearly states that the yoke of Jesus is perfectly fitted and it's easy and it's light. But only when it's done through the grace of God. Only when it's done through God's grace. And it's an attitude shift. It's all an attitude shift. See, see, nothing in us is capable of earning the grace of God. There is nothing in us where God will look at and say, well, that's worthy of grace. I'm going to do it because that guy's just really good. It can happen for any of us. Because it's our motives that God looks at. It's our heart that God looks at. And how many of us haven't had an evil thought? It's just, we all have. Because the devil makes sure that we have evil thoughts. Because if we can think evil, then we'll just automatically do evil because that's what we're thinking. So it's our thoughts that he tries to get to us. But we just are not capable of earning the grace of God. It's a free gift. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5 and 8 and 9, 
But God is so rich in mercy, he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life, raised Christ from the dead, and it's only by God's grace that you have been saved. It's only by the grace, and we know this. This isn't anything new, but I, I, I can can't count on one hand. I don't know how many times I have come here and been doing something and I've realized that I'm doing it because I want somebody to notice as opposed to doing it because God asked me to do it. And then I have to just change the way I think. And um, it doesn't take that long, actually. God saved you by his grace when you believed and you can't take credit for it. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done so none of us can boast about it. Our relationship with God is not dependent on our performance. It's dependent upon God's performance. Nothing we can do will change our dead heart into a living one. That all has to be God. The best we can do is give it to God and say, do with it what you need to do with it. So we need to renew our minds. Do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. This is how about the first one was the NIV. This is the New Living Translation. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And then you will know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. If we can change the way we think, so that we can think properly, it will be no problem knowing what God's will for us is. If we can get ourselves to the point where we can think properly. Philippians 4, 6, and 9. Again, these are verses we all know from the voice. It says, don't be anxious about things. Instead, pray. Pray about everything. He longs to hear your requests. So talk to God about your needs and be thankful for what he's come. And know that the peace of God the peace that is beyond any and all of our human understanding, which can also be said, peace beyond our need to understand. Sometimes we just need to know, God, why is this happening? And sometimes, most of the time, God says, you just need to trust me that I know what I'm doing. Sometimes when we give up our need to understand why, that's when the peace that comes, passes all understanding comes, because we've given up our need to know why. Finally, brothers and sisters, fill your minds with beauty and truth. Meditate on whatever is good, whatever is virtuous, whatever is praiseworthy. Keep to the script. Whatever you learned and received and heard and saw in me, do it. And the God of peace will walk with you. So I, I have five things here about renewing your mind. That I'm going to go through them. Now, this isn't an exhaustive list. This is not a formula. These are some things just to help you with renewing your mind. And when I say renewing your mind again, I'm just, we gotta need to learn to think the way God thinks. And, and um, a little bit at a time. The first thing we need to do is we need to train ourselves to recognize a lie when it pops into our head. Um, 
First Peter chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 in the New Living says, Get rid of all evil behavior. Be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and unkind speech. Like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. It's interesting that it says that now you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Giving our lives to God is just the start. And then we have to work out our salvation. And that just means renewing your mind. We have to learn to think differently. And that's what working out our salvation is. And sometimes it's not really easy. Like, like I said, I just thought rejection all the time. But God is gracious. He will show us when it's a lie. And performance for God's acceptance, for God's love, is a lie. The devil will remind us of the parable of the talents and the servant who did nothing and he was punished for doing nothing. So we do need to do things. We do need to perform. The lie is that performance equals acceptance. You know, so the, the lies can be insidious in there. They're always buried with a bunch of truth, right? And, and the enemy will take scripture and throw a lie into it so that you believe the lie. You know, um, James chapter 2 says that works are a result of our faith, not works to be accepted. And we've talked about that. So what we need to do is train ourselves to recognize a lie when it pops into our head. And they will pop into your head all the time. And like I said before, a good way to recognize it is if you're anxious about it. If a thought pops into your head and suddenly your stomach turns into a knot, there's a lie in there somewhere. Because God has no anxiety in him. If God asks us to do something and we are anxious about doing that thing, then we need to find out why we're anxious about doing the thing that God asked us to do. Because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And if we get, if God asks us to do something and suddenly our stomach ties in a knot, there's a problem somewhere. And it's a problem with how you're thinking and how it's, how it's working. And so once you recognize the lie, and you may need to ask, you may need to have a mentor. If you don't know the Bible really, really well and you've only been saved a short time, you may need a mentor to show you what the lie is. Somebody that you can trust, somebody that you can sit down and tell him the way you're feeling, knowing you're not going to be judged for it, so that they can point out where the lie is. Like Sean said earlier, he had a Bible study group that prayed with him. He had a pastor that prayed with him. He had people in this church that helped him. He didn't get to the one-year anniversary by himself. None of us do. None of us do. So once we realize where the lie is, then it's time to call out the lie. Speak against the lie. Ask God for the spirit of wisdom and reject a spirit of foolishness. And I spoke about this a little while back, but I'll read it again. Isaiah chapter 19, 13 and 14. The spirit of foolishness is what makes you think wrong. It will make you think that things that are right are wrong, and it will make you think that things that are wrong are right, and it will completely mess up your thinking. 
in Isaiah chapter 19, he said, the officials of Zon are fools and the officials of Memphis are deluded. These are cities in Egypt. The leaders of the people have led Egypt astray. The Lord has sent a spirit of foolishness on them, so all their suggestions are wrong. They cause Egypt to stagger like a drunk in his vomit. When God showed me this, I began to say, every morning I would get in the truck and say, Father, I accept your spirit of wisdom, and I reject the spirit of foolishness. And I would say it out loud. Every morning, um, I, I do not want to be led astray in my thinking because you will think that your thinking is right. And if it's not, you know, Jesus talked about the eye, the eye. If the eye is full of darkness, how great is that darkness? And if we've given in to the spirit of foolishness and we're believing a lie, then how dark is your life going to be because of that lie? Ephesians chapter 1, this is the New King James. Blessed be the God of the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Because we're talking about performance. Performance is usually based in rejection and abandonment. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. So when you're feeling unappreciated and you're feeling unloved, this is what you need to do to fight that lie. You need to think on this verse. You need to talk about this verse. And it carries on that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons, Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise and glory of his grace, which he made us accepted in the beloved. It is his grace and we are all accepted. God has accepted every one of us where we are. And that's the cool thing about God is he'll take you where you're at and then he will help you to start walking a little bit better, a little bit better. And working out our salvation, I don't think, ends until we die because we never become perfect. And, and we, we will work and we'll get rid of something. Um, we can get rid of the rejection and I don't think that anymore. And when it comes, I just ignore it or I speak the word that is opposite of it. But then God will bring us something else because we're never perfect. Another way we are thinking wrong. And then when that's looked after, there's another way. That's why we work out our salvation with fear and trembling because we need to change the way we think. And, and God will just bring it one at a time so that we can deal with it. And then we give it to him. So how many times I have said, God, I just give that to you and I give you my heart because I can't fix nothing in it. I think it's ironic sometimes that God gives us heart then he doesn't tell us what's in it and only he can fix it because we have to submit and give it to him. We have to give him our heart and ask him to fix it. And he will do that. So the third thing would be to replace the lie with the truth. So we've, we've found the lie. We have called it out. We have found a scripture verse that says that it's a lie. And now we have to replace it. And I would suggest when you find that scripture, write it down, put it on your phone, put it on a recipe card, because when you're attacked by the enemy, your mind will go weird and you will not remember the promise. But if you've written it down on your phone, you can scroll to it or you can pick up wherever you read it and you can read it 
It's so important to do that because the, our enemy will blindside us. He'll hit us from the side and we'll panic and we won't remember. And then the next day we'll go, how could I not remember that? If we write it down, it's always there. It's always there and you can write it down. And it's, I, I read something and, and this lady suggested doing out a recipe card and putting a big stop sign on it. Stop right now. Change your thinking before you move on and before you make a decision that's going to be bad for you. So replace it with the truth. The fourth one I've got here is to study that scripture that calls it a lie. Spend some time in it. Allow the truth to get down in your spirit that you are not rejected, that you are not abandoned, that you are not unloved. That's the biggest one, I think, is so many times we just feel unloved by everybody and by God. And sometimes our emotions will lie to us. But when our emotions are making us feel uncomfortable or when they're making us feel um, anxious, that's a really good signal there's something that you need to look after. Um, God gave us emotions for a reason. He didn't give us emotions to ignore them. Although we have to ignore the way it makes us feel, it's a signal that there's something wrong in how we think and how we feel. And we have to ask God what that is so that we can give it to him and so he can fix it. So if we know what it is, once God shows us what it is, then we can recognize it when it attacks us. So for instance, um, I, I have had a healing twice in my life. One, one of them was migraines. And I had developed migraines when I was working shift work, probably in 1988. I had started to get migraines and they would just get really, really bad. They start about noon and by three o'clock I would throw up and then the headache would go away. So it was about three or four hours of agony, probably twice a week. I've been prayed for it numerous times. One day I'm sitting in the church and Pastor Glenn is preaching and I have no idea what he's preaching about. I don't remember that. <laughs> but I know that God said to me, stop sleeping in. And what? Stop sleeping in and your migraines will go away. So I tested it. I didn't sleep in on my days off and I had no migraines. I, then I took it next, next week. I slept in on my days off and I had a migraine by three o'clock. It was a healing. It wasn't the miraculous healing that we all want to see where somebody jumps out of a wheelchair and runs around the room. But it was a healing nonetheless because I don't have migraines anymore. And once I stopped sleeping in, I stopped getting migraines. And I forgot why I told you that now. Okay. <laughs> I just can't Um Yeah. Anyway, the, the, the truth... The, the truth in the word will affect you in the same way. As you, as you talk about it, as you meditate on it, it gets down in your spirit and then it starts to work. And as you think differently, so many, so many times we could, heal, we could receive our healing if we just thought differently. That's why I told you that story. I started thinking differently. I, I, started, I stopped wanting to sleep in and I started wanting to get up. And even though I would wake up and say, nah, I really don't want to, I forced myself to get up because it was something God told me to do. Well, now, of course, I'm up all the time at three o'clock. <laughs> 
Um, that's something else altogether. But um, as God shows us how to change our thinking, lots of times there's other benefits that come along with it. How many, how many people, I wonder, have been healed and have been gloriously healed and they're praising God and loving it and a week later their symptoms come back because they didn't know that what they were doing was causing the sickness and they just keep doing the same thing and just fall back into it again. I'm sure there are some, probably not all, it's not, but if we can renew our thinking, there is healing that comes with it because there's obedience that comes with it. And when obedience, healing is something that we all get from God. But we have to make sure we're not doing something that's causing it. And it's not just sickness, it's, it's, it's all kinds of things. Matthew chapter 11, 44 to 46. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that is hidden in a field. A crafty man found the treasure buried there and buried it again so nobody else would know where it was. Thrilled, he went off and sold everything he had. Then he came back and bought the field with the hidden treasure in it. I don't know how many years I read that and I just assumed it meant that I need, I need to make God a top priority. And if it means selling everything I have, I need to do that. And I think that's one meaning of it. But one day God said to me, you don't have enough money to buy me. You don't have enough money to buy that field. You don't have enough. You will never have enough. The pearl of great price is not Jesus, it is you. Because Jesus gave up everything to come buy the field on this earth and to get you. And it's a different way of thinking again. When I started thinking that I was the pearl of great price, then the abandonment wasn't so bad because I'm renewing my mind to the fact that God sold everything he had to get me. Um, I think one of my favorite verses has become Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 12, I think it's verse 2, that says, for the glory set before him, Jesus endured the cross. So Jesus spent all night in prayer in Gethsemane, asking God for another way. He didn't want to go to the cross. And then he looked beyond the cross. The only thing beyond the cross that Jesus got was us. He had given everything else up. And so Jesus said, I see you. I see Cliff. I see Jill. I, I see Joan. And they are so worth this death on the cross. Father, I'm going to do it. And it is so awesome. That's how much you are worth to Jesus. That he would endure the torture. He would endure the shame. He would endure the sin of the whole world. The, mo the worst thing was he would endure was the presence of the Father leaving. He had the presence of the Father like nobody else did. And suddenly it was gone. Can you imagine what that would be like? That's probably the worst thing. But he did it all because he was so stinking important. He, you know, he just loves you so very, very much. It was not a small thing for Jesus to go to the cross. He didn't want to go. He spent all night praying. And in the end, he said, it's, yep, I see that now, Father. It's your will. I'm going to do it. And I can see. And he 
he looked beyond the cross and gladly went. Because the Bible says he could have called down myriads of angels that would have wiped Israel off the face of the earth and Jesus could have been restored back into heaven. But he didn't do that. Because you are so important to him. So important to him. Or the kingdom of heaven is like a jeweler on the lookout for the finest pearls. And when he couldn't find a pearl more beautiful and valuable than any jewel he had ever seen, or when he found it, the jeweler sold everything he had, bought that pearl, and a pearl of great price. Jesus got rid of everything he had, including his deity, by the way, so that he could get you. And so we're talking about performance, and, and that is one of the things that really changed my thinking when I, when I felt unappreciated I just remembered that God appreciates and he gave everything to get me performance and well last thing and then we need to pray obviously we need to spend time with God we need to ask God for the spirit of wisdom we need to ask God to renew our mind with his truth we need to ask God to help us think the way he wants us to think performance is living from approval not for approval. Not for approval. And I had in here somewhere, in James chapter 2, I wanted to... Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. No law against these things. God showed me right at the beginning of when he started taking me out of and rebuilding my identity. He said, there's no such thing as instant fruit. Fruit, you plant a fruit tree, it has to grow roots. Then it has to grow a, 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 a stalk, what do you call it? Stem, tree, branch, tree, I don't know. And then it has to grow branches out of the trunk. That's what the word I'm looking for. And once the branches are growing, then the fruit appears on the branches. And sometimes it takes three or four years for the tree to get to the point where it will produce fruit. And I don't think it's any mistake that God called these things the fruit of the Spirit. Because they're not instant. And it's as we give our lives to God and as we change the way we think that the fruit slowly starts to appear. So, renewing your mind is not an instant thing. It doesn't happen, bam, I got my mind renewed, off I go. It's something we have to work at. And it's something we have, to, we have to fight for. It's something we have to strive for. And it's so important to do it because that's where our freedom lies. Freedom from sin lies in the way we think. And when, when you can get to the point where you know that you're God's favorite, instead of you're the piece of garbage Jesus had to get to get everybody else it changes you it sets you free and it says it says in James chapter 2 that human creation is God's favorite out of all the creation 
So you go camping in the summertime and it's beautiful and the trees are great and the lake is calm and it's so peaceful and you just love it out there. But that's not God's favorite. You're God's favorite. You look at some beautiful, look at, Joan loves horses, right? Look at the best horse in the world. That's not God's favorite. Joan is God's favorite. He's, he, you are his favorite out of all creation. That changed my life when I read that. That I am God's favorite because I never ever thought that before. And just in case this thought has entered your head, I am not at all saying we should not do good works. I am not saying that. Please don't take that home with you saying I don't have to do nothing anymore. We still have to do what God called us to do. We just have to change why we do it. Uh, you know, and I can go, go through Romans where Paul said that's kind of stupid thinking to think that way, but I, I don't think I'll go there right now. So I just want to pray. I want to pray for everybody. And, and, and I'm talking from my heart because I fall into this all the time. I wish I didn't, but I do. I get to a point where I'm kind of anxious and, you know, why didn't Megan say thank you that I did that? And then God not taps me on the shoulder and says, you're doing it again. Especially in that moment, I have to change what I'm thinking about because that's freedom. And that's what God wants us to do. So I'm just going to pray for everybody because I think we all need to work this. It doesn't matter how long we've been saved. I've been saved for 50 some years. It doesn't matter how long we've been saved. It doesn't matter how spiritual we are. We all need to work this. We all need to continue to work this. Father, I thank you that you care enough about us to tell us these things. Father, I thank you that you love us enough to show us what we're doing that's wrong. Father, I thank you that it's your grace that allows us to do what you've called us to do. And so, Lord, we throw ourselves upon your mercy and your grace this morning. Your morning, Lord. Lord, and we want to renew our minds. Lord, we want to work on it. We're going to... And I pray against the enemy who throws all these thoughts into our heads and tries to steal the word by negative thoughts and wrong thoughts. Father, I rebuke that enemy. I rebuke anything that is a violation of the word of God in our lives. And Father, I thank you again for loving us enough to show us these things. Lord, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. So God... We need to trust the grace of God. We need to trust the grace of God. Amen. So, you want Adam? I don't think you need to bother coming up. <laughs> we're good, unless there's something you need to say. Nope. So we're gonna have our prayer team here. If you don't know Jesus, if you're online watching and you don't know, you don't know Jesus. You don't know this God that loves you so much that he would give up everything to get you. You just have to give your life to him. You know what? I'll just pray, and you can just pray with me. 
Father in heaven, I am so sorry for all the sin that I have committed. Father, I give my heart to you this morning, and I do my best to turn around. Father, and as you show me wrong thinking, I will stop and think correctly as you show it to me. Father, take my life and make it what you want it to be. In Jesus' name, amen. For more information about Embassy Church, visit our website at embassychurch.ca.